Hello listeners, I'm your host James Tachy. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, a show that explores the fact that despite one's genetics, country of origin, socioeconomic background, culture, tradition, and all the many labels we tend to use to describe our condition and conditioning, we have more that brings us together than separates us. The stories shared here are expressions of this experience, the hope that it inspires you, motivates, and helps you feel more connected to people near and far. In this episode, Kim shares the adversities of poverty her family endured living in America. Not having enough food to eat on a daily basis, having to postpone education to help her family financially, taking on the responsibility of caregiver at an early age. Furthermore, Kim shares her experience being the offspring of an affair her mother had while her father was serving a military deployment in Korea. And in spite of the circumstances, the man who could have had every reason to shun her instead showed Kim immense love and care. This is her story. I am a love child. My mother had an affair with an American Mohawk Indian iron worker in 1962. She already had five children. When they found out she had an affair with a Mohawk Indian, her father and everyone, her mother was very livid. I mean, you don't mix a white person with anybody of color, especially a Mohawk Indian. My mother was not allowed to have a child by the family doctor or anybody, so my mother was forced to have me at home on the living room cot, a rollaway bed. When she did have me, they were like, what color is it? Because if I was dark, they were going to bring me to the Mohawk Indian Reservation Orphanage and drop me off. They were not very bright people. When I was born, um, they were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Who's going to cut the cord? She's on a rollaway bed. So they called the uh, funeral parlor. The mortician delivered me and cut the umbilical cord because my grandmother was very good friends with him and didn't want the family doctor to know the family secret that my mom had an affair. And if I was going to be a colored baby, as she put it, she didn't want the family doctor to know the secret. And the mortician would keep the secret, being a family close friend. Luckily for me, they kept me with my mom and her other children. Well, they wouldn't send me off to an, in- an Indian reservation as an orphan against my mother's wishes, but that's where my mother, my grandmother was going to bring me. She never liked me after that because she knew what I was. She knew I was half Mohawk Indian. She told my father he didn't care at all. I was very close to him and he loved me anyway. He kept me anyway. And he said he, he was quite content in having another little girl when he came back in 63 to another child that he knew very well was not his. It's quite impossible. (laughs) So it was fine. So I grew up there and then we moved to Connecticut. I went to Manchester High School and I was a daddy's girl. He kept me close. I think because he wanted to make up for me not having a father, so to speak. And his other children didn't like that very much because, you know, 
Oh, it wasn't his. And there's a reason why he used to call me Pat. Because when I was a baby, he said I purred. Like, he would, like, play with my hair, and I would make this purring noise when I would sleep. So, oh my gosh, my little pet kitten. I got a pet, a human pet kitten. That's where pet came from. When I was 21 and I was really hurt and scared about what was happening in my life, I came home and I stood in front of my dad and I was crying and he's like, what happened? And he would sit on the couch and I would lay down and he would just sit there and hug me. That's it. So I didn't need a big speech. I didn't need someone to lecture me, someone to tell me if I was doing something wrong or something good. I just needed the love of my father. And that's what he did all the time. And then when we would talk about whatever was messed up in my life, whatever something was screwing up on, or whether I was doing something good or something that was scared in my life, he was there always, like the rock of Gibraltar. He was there. My father was a POW in the Korean War, and he had severe PTSD. He was an alcoholic. But my mother also supplied him the alcohol and would complain about it, which didn't make sense to me. Help him. Don't enable him. When he became really, really bad, I dropped out of high school from my dad. And I went back and got my GED. I could work during the day and go to school at night. Graduated. That's how I did it. It's hard. But I did it after that. I became very angry with my mom. I found out that my other siblings weren't his children either. We were very poor. I mean, think about it. They had five older than me and five younger than me. And me, it's 11. My mom didn't work. My dad did. Dirt was richer than we were. There was times we went to bed with one piece of bread divided between four of us. Mm-hmm. That's what we had for dinner. My older brother left the home because my father wasn't his father. My sister Barbara went off into the army. My other sister went off to college, wandered away from all of this, tired of being poor. My other sister Linda got adopted away from my mother. Gary Lee was killed. And then there was me. Everybody else was younger than me. I looked at my dad and he needed help. He just needed help, and I could do it. I was a straight-A student. Every semester, I made the honor roll. This was nothing for me. Was he upset that I didn't graduate with my class? Yeah, he was. Was I? No. My father needed my hands. I was going to give them to him. Wasn't important for me to go to prom. Wasn't important for me to walk across the stage. An accomplishment. It was important for me to stand next to my father and work. He was dying of cancer. My father needed me. That's why I felt I needed to. I loved him. He needed my legs. They're his. He needed my hands. They're his. He needed me to see. I have his eyes. That's the way it was.
There was no doubt. There was no question. There was nothing. There wasn't even asked of me. My father came home sick. He could barely work. I saw that. Came home from school and said, Daddy, I quit. Quit school. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to help you. Was he irritated and pissed and mad? Oof. But I saw like a weight come off of him because he needed it. He couldn't do it alone. He just couldn't. He just couldn't. I did the best that I could for him. My mom and I fought so bad. I had to walk away from her. Not him, but her. I graduated my way, not her way. Her way was so she could brag to everybody. I went to MCC, took some accounting courses, but then I had Crystal. My dad was getting sicker and sicker. It wasn't until I went up to his house and I was took him to the doctors, and no one else would, and discovered he was dying. He had cancer, which I already knew beforehand because there was this big man who kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Something was going on. He had cancer in the esophagus. And that's when I was leaving Crystal's father. Because he was like, you have a choice. You either have to be home and make me dinner or go you know, do tube feeding with your father. So I went to the freezer, took out some steak, put it on the table, took a can of peas, put it on the table, took a bag of potatoes, put it on the table, said, there's your dinner. Pack your bags and leave after you eat. I'm going to go feed my father. Crystal's father went to Maine with her, like on a vacation, and my dad went. It was bad. They had blown out the cancer in his stomach. He had a bowel cancer in there. He had good radiation. That was in November. And they said, oh, even in five more years, we think, if she let us do this. My mom didn't want any part of it. I'm like, you're his wife. You should be here with him. She couldn't handle it. So I was with him. Hmm. Well, I had to ask him, what do you want me to do? That's tough to ask people certain questions. That's a tough job. When he was like, well, if you, I'll go see only one doctor. His uh, name is uh, Meisner. I was like, how do you know this guy? He wouldn't tell me how. So I called up this surgeon. The secretary was like, oh, he's not taking any patients. And I said, tell him Johnny Kane's daughter's on the phone. That's what my father told me to say. So she said, hold on. She was so mad. Next thing I know, she comes back on. The doctor said to come right in. What? Well, wait a minute. Hold on. He's right here. The doctor got on the phone. He goes, this is Johnny's daughter? I go, yeah, Johnny Kane. Yes. It's his daughter, Kim. Bring him in today. Okay. This was weird. Brought him right in. He examined my dad. He said, I want to make a phone call. You're going to go see this doctor. And his name was John Anderson. Dr. Anderson. So we took him over to Dr. Anderson. All on the same day. This is weird. I go, Daddy, who are these people? Because I don't know this doctor. If Dr. Meisner tells me to go, I'm going. So I took him over to see Dr. Anderson. And Dr. Anderson said, um, look, you know. Um, by that time, they had done some blood work. And they rushed it. 
And I want to tell you, rushed it. By the time I got to Dr. Anderson's office, they already had the results. And he said to me, your father, by physical test and by blood test, has got cancer of the esophagus. And I'm telling you that if he comes walking into this office in three months, I'll be looking at a ghost because that's about how long you've got. I started crying hysterically because this is my dad. He goes, but there's another doctor I want you to see, a Dr. Smiley. So he said, he'll see you this afternoon. So we went to see Dr. Smiley. My father had no insurance, none. Dr. Smiley set it up for the next day to go to the Manchester outpatient to have this thing done to go down and he's going to blow a hole in it so my father could eat. And they were going to test the cancer. So they did that. And it was all up and down, all through his esophagus. Came January 23rd was Crystal's father's birthday. He was in Maine with Crystal, and he had had a heart attack. I told my dad, my dad was in the, they had to rush my father to the hospital. And I went and saw him. I said, Daddy, I gotta go. Dave had a heart attack. I have to go get Crystal. And he goes, yeah, they're letting me out. Don't worry. I'm only here for a little while. You promise I'm coming right back. Because I was taking care of him all the time. And I left. I went to Maine. Crystal's dad had another heart attack while I was there. Caused by cocaine. He had done an eight ball of cocaine for his birthday and gave him a heart attack. I was furious. On that Thursday, I was packing up stuff. I called my mom and said, I'm coming home. How's daddy? She said, the cancer spread to his brain. Kimmy, he doesn't know anybody. I said, he knows me. And I started crying. I said, let me talk to him. He knows me. She goes, he's not going to know you. And he got on the phone. And I was like, hi, daddy. And he was like, hey, pet. And then I started crying. Because he knew me. He did. He didn't know anybody else, but he knew me. And that was cool. And I said, but you said you were going to wait for me. I'm coming home and leaving tomorrow morning. So I'll be home. And he said, hurry up, because i got to talk to you about some things. We have to, some stuff we have to discuss. I said, oh, I'm coming. He didn't wait. I left Friday morning. I was packing up my car. The phone rang. Crystal came running in the hallway. She was four. And she was, Grandpa's here. I said, no, he's not. She said, he's at the window, Mom. And I said, he's not at the window. And I said, yes, he is. He said, goodbye. I said, no, he didn't. And the phone rang. It was my sister. My dad passed away. I was so mad at him. I was like, shit, he didn't wait. Uh, I was mad at Crystal's dad because I was in Maine because he gave himself a heart attack. My dad didn't ask for cancer. He served his country. And he got cancer from Agent Orange, that chemical they used. He died, and I wasn't there. And I don't know what he wanted to talk to me about. That haunts me. Always did. But when I got back there, when I came back to Connecticut, it was the end of David and I, Crystal's dad and I. I held a grudge, took something from me that I could never get back. My father was my life. My father was everything. He kept me when everyone wanted to throw me away. He didn't see a child of color. 
it is the child mixed with the sort of baby and he kept me when everyone wanted to throw me away and he raised me as his own and I wasn't there and get to say goodbye that I hurt and when I came home it was hard I went into my apartment and um, the missionaries were there I never knew Mormon religion and two missionaries showed up at my doorstep because they wouldn't we were transporting his body back to New York State where he wanted to be and uh, the people next door wouldn't move their car so we'd get to her still they were being really disrespectful and I was wreck I was really a wreck the two missionaries came to the door and I was like I have no time for this kind of stuff and at first I thought they were Jehovah Witnesses and uh, they looked at me and they said are you okay I said no I'm not the greatest man that ever lived has died so no not okay so take whatever you're selling go somewhere else because if God was really good he wouldn't have taken him and then they said something really important to me they said, God is really good because he had let him have you. He gave it to you for the time that he was here. And now I started crying. I was like, you're right. He did. <laughs> God did. Because if he didn't give me that father, I would have been where? What kind of life would I have had? We may have been poor, but one thing I never lacked was love. Never, ever did I lack that. Every day of my life, I knew my father loved me. I, every day of my life, I knew that I was special and that I was good and I was the best because he told me so every day, even when I was bad. And when I was bad, he said he loved me the most because that's when I needed him the most. He taught me to be who I was. I'm his daughter. The woman who gave birth to me is my mom, and I love her more than anything, too. But him, I'm his daughter. Him. We're not biologically connected, but we're father and daughter. And that is who I am. I'm John Kane's daughter. That's I am. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Are Not Alone. Your positive feedback is appreciated, so please like, comment, and share. You may find more episodes on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Stay tuned for more to come.